So there was a, a big grass fire on a, on a farm and it was burning out of control. It was getting closer and closer uh, to where the crops were. And they, of course they called the fire department. The main fire department came out and they could not get control of this fire. So they, uh, someone suggested, well, the, the neighboring town has a volunteer fire department. Maybe we should call them and have them come help us. And they go, are you kidding me? Those guys, they're not going to be able to help us. But finally, it got bad enough that they called, they called the volunteer fire department. So those guys came out in their rickety old fire truck, and they came speeding down the lane towards the fire. And to everyone's amazement, they drove right through the flames into the middle of the fire. They jumped frantically off the truck and sprang water in all directions. And before you, uh, before you knew it, they had cut the fire into half to two very controllable halves that they fought one side and the other fire department fought the other side. And before long, the fire was out. And so all of the the firemen were amazed at what they had done. The, fire, the uh, farmer was amazed at what they had done, so thankful that they had saved his crops. And so he had them out to his house and he gave them a special check uh, to reward them, their fire department, for this, this gallant maneuver going right into the flames uh, of that fire to fight that fire. And so they were very thankful. They thanked him for the money and they said, so what are you guys going to spend this money on for your fire department? And the chief said, well, the first thing we're going to do is get the brakes fixed on that old truck so we don't go flying right into the middle of the flames the next time. <laughs> they weren't quite as committed as they appeared to be when they came roaring up upon the fire. Commitment's a scary word, isn't it? We're, we're very hesitant in our world today to make commitments to things because we're not sure, unless we know exactly what's happening, we're not sure we want to make a commitment to that. So how can we learn to embrace commitment for God, for Christ? Open your Bibles to Joshua 5, and we're going to learn how to love commitment. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that uh, you have given us all that we need for life and godliness, all that we need to be successful, all that we need to fight the battles that you have prepared for us uh, to help us to have victory through those. Uh, Lord, we pray tonight that we would be those that would be um, dedicated towards commitment to you uh, so that no matter what you call us to do, we can follow through uh, for your glory. We'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, let's start uh, with the bad news, and then we'll kind of work our way to the good news. Um, let's start with this. Commitment can be painful. Commitment can be painful. How many of you have ever heard of a doctor by the name of Dr. Evan Kane? Dr. Evan Kane. Anybody ever heard of Dr. Evan Kane? He was a medical doctor in the late 1800s, early 1900s. More famous on the East Coast, uh, Pennsylvania area, kind of a little unorthodox, but um, because of the way surgery was back in that day, he was the first guy that really tested the types of surgeries that you could do without general anesthesia by using local anesthesia. So when he was 60 years old, he had appendicitis. This was in 1921. He had appendicitis, and 
He had done over 4,000 appendectomies in his career. He injected himself with Novocaine in his side and removed his own appendix at the age of 60, demonstrating that you could do um, surgeries without general anesthesia. Then, when he was 70, he did the same thing with a hernia. He operated on himself at the age of 70 and repaired his hernia. He made some other uh, medical discoveries that uh, advanced uh, surgeries and so forth. But anyway, he's an interesting guy. But um, we are a people that are really, I, I noticed when I told that story, he's a real dude, you can look him up. But when I told that story, I could see some of you cringing, you know, the whole idea of giving yourself a local, cutting yourself open, digging around inside, finding your appendix. That kind of is distasteful to us because we're really a pain-free, loving people these days. We really don't like pain. We do everything in our power to avoid pain. Um, we go to the dentist now, we get our gums rubbed with something so that we don't even feel the needle that they put in to kill the pain when they actually do the dental work. Or we get knocked out completely at the dentist now because we don't like to have um, any pain. Uh, it's just not that easy, though, when it comes to commitment for the Lord. Sometimes God wants us to have a little pain. Sometimes he brings a little pain into our lives to grow us, to make us more like Christ. So let's start here in verse 1 of Joshua 5, Joshua 5, excuse me, verse 1 of Joshua chapter 5. So it was, so now let's just review just real quick. They've just crossed the Jordan River, another miraculous crossing. They're in the, the land now, ready to go to war. They're ready to battle the people that are there. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan where they had crossed, all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted. So these are the kings that they have to conquer, these powerful, big, fortified city kings. Their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. So after the news of the, the Red Sea crossing 40 years previous, after the defeat of the Amorite kings in the Transjordan region, and after crossing the, uh, the miracle crossing of the Jordan River, I'm sure that these young Jews, these that were born in the wilderness and were now ready to go to war in the land and take the land, I'm sure they were ready to go. I mean, they had the momentum. They had just saw another miracle. They heard that these kings' hearts melted within them. I'm sure that they were ready to get going. Let's get conquering. Let's get settled in the land. I'm sure that the men were ready. I'm sure that the military leaders were ready. The people that crossed from the east side that were going to help them and then go back home, uh, the two and a half tribes on the east side were probably ready to go. That's what they had planned. That was what they thought they were going to do because of what happened but that's when God stepped in and slowed the whole process down. With what? With pain. He wanted to bring them a little bit of pain. So look at verse 2. Here's God's plan for them. We might have plans ourselves, then God's plans become clear a little bit later on. In verse 2, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. Now, does anybody know what flint is? What is flint? It's rock. It's stone, okay? It's not steel. It's not 
sharp steel. It's not a cutco knife that's been resharpened and sent back again. It's rock. It's stone. And um, he is told by God to make flint knives and prepare to circumcise the people a second time. So there had been one circumcision in the wilderness for the first generation that had died off. And we'll read more about that here in just a second. But this younger generation was a whole new group of people. So they needed to learn about dependence upon God. They had to learn about having their hearts prepared spiritually before they could enter into the physical battles that were to come. So spiritual preparation is very important before we enter into these physical battles, and that's what they had to do. They had to prepare. And I'm sure this must have been a difficult um, decision for Joshua from, the, in the, from a human standpoint. Obviously, this was a command from the Lord. But from a human standpoint, it just didn't make any sense. They're in enemy territory. They've already crossed. There is no retreat. They've already crossed the river. They're in enemy territory. They're ready to go to war. Everybody's kind of afraid. Everybody's on the defensive. And so Joshua's going to incapacitate his entire army right there. Does that make any human sense at all? If these other kings were paying any attention at all, that would be the time to attack because they would be in no mood to go to battle at that point in time. So I'm sure that when Joshua brought this command to all the men of Israel, I'm sure that there were some that were asking some questions. Is this really the best time to be doing this? Is this really the best plan? So in verse 3, Joshua did exactly what the Lord wanted him. He made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins, obviously named for the event that was taking place there at that time. But Joshua obeyed, and he didn't just delegate. He was part of this. Now, we don't know if he circumcised every one of those thousands and thousands of Jews. Probably not. He probably had others helping him, but he was part of that process. He was a man of commitment. He was a man that was willing to do whatever God asked him to do, um, as these other men were that were willingly submitting to God at this point in time. They were becoming men of commitment before the Lord, at least at this time. Israel was very in a good spot right now spiritually as a nation. And in verse 4, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised him. So we don't always know why, but the Lord did give them reasons why. And that was probably communicated to the people as well. But we can always trust God that he has reasons for leading the way that he does. So here they are in verse 4. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. So we knew that. All but Joshua and Caleb had died in the wilderness, the ones that had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war came out of Egypt were consumed. So that means they all died, everyone that had come out of Egypt, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So you'll remember... They had to die in the wilderness because they didn't believe that they could conquer the land. Only Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, we can do this. Everybody else said, no, we can't. We're afraid. They're too big, too powerful. So they all died in the wilderness. So now there's a whole new group 
of men that need to be circumcised that were born in the wilderness. Then Joshua, it says in verse 7, circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised. God had raised up these sons in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So they were not practicing the law as it was commanded in scripture yet. They had been given the law. They just were kind of biding their time uh, in the wilderness until they uh, came completely into the land, and then they were able to practice all of their religion, not just parts of their religion. So God had a plan for them. They had a plan for themselves. God had a plan for them in the circumcision. And then look how God provided them, uh, pr provided for them uh, through this process. So it was in verse 8, when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. So I'm sure that God... Uh, protected them uh, so that they had time to heal. He might have even enhanced their healing process so that it was um, much quicker um, without infection and other problems that could come with that type of procedure with stones. And uh, so they were healing up in the wilderness. And at that time, then in verse 9, the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. So circumcision was not practiced in Egypt. Uh, we saw that it was not practiced um, in the wilderness. We know that Moses was circumcised on his way back to Egypt when God called him at the age of 80. He was circumcised in Exodus 4, verse 25. And it's perhaps the Israelites were, were mocked in Egypt for their lack of possessing the land of Canaan, as God had promised. But there was a mockery made of them as slaves in Egypt, and this day the Lord had rolled that reproach away. They were ready now to go in and possess the land that he had promised to Father Abraham several hundred years before. Um, Gilgal, it says at the end of verse um, 9, uh, therefore the name of this place is called Gilgal, uh, means circle, um, and now there was memorial stones there, uh, the reproach of Egypt as a memorial there. Circumcision became the outward sign of God's promise to Abraham. And as you well know, circumcision had spiritual as well as physical significance to the Jews in the sense that they were depending upon God for their provision, for their miraculous deliverance. As Abraham depended upon God, to have a son at his old age. That was a miracle. Circumcision became a sign to Israel of the miracle of the birth of their nation. It wouldn't even have existed without the miracle of, of uh, the birth of Isaac. And so circumcision becomes a continual reminder of the nation of God's provision, of their need to depend solely upon God, and that is still true today. That becomes a reminder to them of how God has provided for them through the ages. So commitment uh, for these Jews was indeed, in fact, physically painful, not just spiritually, but physically painful. Secondly here, commitment can be life-changing. Commitment can be life-changing. How many of you know who... Uh, uh, Cortez was, the explorer Cortez. 
Anybody remember? Cortez came from uh, Spain with an uh, armada of ships to, um, to come into the um, New World. Um, but there was a plan that Cortez had that his sailors nor the king that sent him from Spain understood. You remember what that plan was? What it was Cortez to do? Burn the ships. So he sailed to America, took several months uh, to land. I think they landed in uh, Veracruz in the spring of 1519. Took him several months to get there. But he didn't tell the king of Spain and he didn't tell his sailors that when we get there, we're going to burn the ships because we were going to make a settlement. We were not turning back. This is where we were going. This was going to be our home. And as soon as they unloaded the ships, he did follow through with that. And he um, made a life-changing commitment, not only for himself, but for those that were following him. When we decide to follow Christ, when we put our faith in him and we make a decision to follow him in our lives and be obedient to him, to his word, it is a life-changing commitment because God does change our lives. He changes them drastically. He changes our desires. He changes um, what we uh, do. He um, leads us in different ways that we never would have dreamt before. He does that for the nation of Israel here in verse 10. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. So this was only the third Passover of the Jews after coming out of the land. Um, it was apparently not observed during the wilderness wanders, wanderings. Um, probably, why do you think they didn't practice the Passover in the wilderness? What would have been one reason they wouldn't not have done that? You think. What were they eating when they were in the wilderness? They were eating manna. Um, their flocks probably had been depleted. There probably weren't many uh, available to where they could have millions and millions of lambs slaughtered during their wilderness wanderings those 40 years. That could have been one of the reasons why they weren't practicing. Um, that speculation, but that could have been one of the reasons why they weren't practicing the Passover. But now they've come into the land. Uh, now they're going to change the way they worship. They're going to begin to follow the law as God provided. Not only is their worship going to change, but their provision is going to change, which will enhance the ability to have the Passover and other things because they're going to be able to eat of the land. Now, in verse 11, it says that they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. This was the first time that the people that were born in the wilderness ate of the fruit of the land. Most of them had only had manna, perhaps their, their whole life. This was the first time they ate anything other than that. And certainly the first time since Jacob was in the land that they ate food from the promised land to Abraham, of course, over 400 years before. So now... Uh, everything's changing. In verse 12, the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. So a whole new day has dawned for these people. This commitment that they were making uh, to the Lord not only brought circumcision to them, but it brought this change of their worship would be much different now. They would be practicing worship much more often. Uh, their provisions changed in the sense that now they were eating uh, from the fruit of the land, uh, the animals that they have, rather, rather than 
the manna. So it was all different. It was a complete life change. So commitment is painful. Commitment can be life-changing. And then thirdly, commitment can bring us closer to the Lord. Commitment can bring us, actually commitment does bring us closer to the Lord. When we are committed to him, committed to um, following his will. And this, this commitment that brings us closer to God forces us to have complete trust. Complete blind trust in God because he's going to do things we aren't going to understand. He's going to overcome obstacles that we don't think are possible to be overcome. He's going to put hurdles in our way that we're wondering what he's doing. Um, But this will bring us closer to him when we're able to exercise complete trust and have the courage to do what he wants us to do, even though we don't understand how he's going to do anything or how he can use us or how he's going to enable us to go go through the fear, go through the uncertainty for him. Uh, First of all, I want to talk about we're going to have visible battles that we're going to have to battle. We're going to have visible battles in verse 13. 13. Um, Israel had them here, um, military battles. Ours might be different than that as we go through life. More than likely, they're not going to be military. For those of us that have been in or others that are in the military, they do uh, have to be involved in physical, or excuse me, visible battles. But in verse 13 here, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So I want to go back to the beginning of this verse and I, I just want to kind of paint a picture of what's happening here. So Joshua is out there with these guys. They've been circumcised. They're, they're waiting to heal. They're waiting to see what's going to happen. And he knows the first city on the docket is Jericho. And what Joshua's doing is he steps out of the camp and he looks toward Jericho. Look what it says there. He lifted his eyes and looked. He just looked. He's contemplating. He's looking around to see what's there. So what does he see when he looks at Jericho? What does Jericho have? Jericho has walls. It has high walls. Jericho um, is fortified. Jericho has a proven track record of protecting itself throughout the centuries of time. Israel had, uh, this is what they used back in this day, armies that laid siege against other cities. They used um, things like battering rams to try to break down walls, to try to break through fortified gates. They used uh, catapults to catapult into the city, um, burning oil, things like that, that could set the city on fire to to conquer the cities. They used moving towers to to get close enough to battle rather than being shot down upon from the walls, moving towers that were able to move outside the cities to be able to, to, to attack the cities at the weak points. What did Israel have? These guys had been living in the wilderness for 40 years. They had slings, probably. Um, they probably had some swords. Uh, they probably had some arrows. They probably had um, some spears. But Joshua's probably looking at that city and going, this is going to be interesting. 
I mean, he just crossed the river, so he knows God can do amazing things. He knows that's possible. But you wonder what he's contemplating here. And because of what he actually sees, because of what God brings to him in this little wandering that he has as he's contemplating what's happening, I have to think that there's a little sense of concern in his mind. I'm not going to say worry, but a little bit of concern because God assures him here. He assures him that he's going to have success. So it's okay to contemplate odds, especially insurmountable odds. It's good to do that because contemplation is what really drives us to our knees to pray. It's really what takes us to the word of God to look for messages from God like Joshua received here. But uh, you can't ignore, you can't ignore battles. They have to be paid attention to. Um, If Joshua would have ignored this, I mean, he was thinking, I mean, we're hemmed in here. We have no retreat. We've got women and children with us. Um, And so as he was thinking, someone appeared and Joshua questioned him, are you for us or are you against us? Because he looked like a formidable um, opponent. And so he asked, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? So there are visible battles that may have to be waged. You're going to come across issues in life. There are going to be challenges that you're going to have to face. But we need to remember that there is an invisible army that is available to us that the rest of the world doesn't have. Look at verse 14. So he said, this was that person that was standing there, No, But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. So he's not an adversary. He's the commander of the army of the Lord. The commander of the army of the Lord. This was the angel of the Lord. This was a pre-incarnate Christ. This was deity. This was not just Michael the archangel. I'll tell you how we know that here in just a moment. But he commanded more than just Israel. He commanded an angelic host that was invisible to the rest of the world. This is seen also over in 2 Kings. If you'll turn there with me, I want to read one passage that you might be familiar with if you've read much about um, Elisha here. In 2 Kings chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 8 and read this. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. 
And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That was the army of the Lord that this person commanded over in Joshua chapter 5, verse 14. He commanded an angelic host that was invisible to the rest of the world, but is very, very real and is accessible uh, to the Lord to use when he needs it to protect or to have victory for his people. Here, um, they are visible only to Elisha in um, 2 Kings 6, they're visible only to Elisha, and then Elisha prayed that the Lord would reveal them to his servant so he wouldn't be all um, uh, concerned about it or worried because he saw this great army surrounding them. Um, In Matthew 26, do you remember what Jesus said in the garden when he was being arrested in the garden and Peter wanted to fight right away? And what did Jesus say? I could call 12 legions of angels if I wanted to. How much is 12 legions? It's about 12,000. A legion was 1,000. About 12,000 angels. Jesus says, you know what? I don't, these, this little group of bandits here, these little Roman police officers that are arresting me, I'm going willingly because I could call 12,000 angels and have these guys vanquished if I wanted to. This is my Father's will. It's just good for us to know That God has all the resources available to protect us from whatever he wants to protect us from. There's nothing in this world that can touch us if God doesn't want us to. Want it to. Nothing. Not a person. Not a thing. Not a group. Not a disease. There's nothing that can touch us if God doesn't want us to be touched by it. That gives us great security to know that we have that available to us and that the God that God is watching out over us. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14, they are called ministering spirits sent to those who will inherit salvation. There are ministering spirits available to those who will inherit salvation. What a blessing. And so here um, he tells Joshua, I am a commander of the army of the Lord. And I have now come. And what did Joshua do? He fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? So Joshua, how do we know now that this was a deity and not an angel, that this was actually part of the Godhead? Because Joshua worshiped. Did the angel stop his worship or did he accept it? Well, he obviously accepted it. We see later in scripture when John falls down before an angel or before Gabriel or Michael, the archangel. Get up, get up. I am not to be worshipped. I am an angel. I am a created being. Only God is worthy to be worshipped. And so um, Joshua falls down and worships him here in verse um, 14. He asks the question, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua in verse 15, um, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Where do we also see that? 
Take your sandal off your foot because the place where you stand is holy. That's when Moses stood before the Lord at the burning bush as well as on Mount Sinai. So Joshua was, in fact, in the presence of God. I thought this was an interesting quote as well from um, John Wesley in relation to um, being fully committed. Uh, He says, Give me 100 men who hate nothing but sin and love God with all their hearts, and I will shake the world for Christ. 100 men who hate nothing but sin and love God with all their hearts. That's a good goal to have, where we hate nothing but sin and we love God with all our hearts. And then Joshua falls down and worships the Lord here in verse 15. What a comforting experience this must have been for him as he was contemplating what lay ahead for the nation of Israel in the conquering of the land. But he was assured now it was more than just these these guys over here that were laying around moaning and groaning in pain from being circumcised. There was going to be something bigger behind them because Joshua had to look at that group and go, we're in trouble. These guys physically aren't ready. They don't have the equipment that they need. And then God revealed himself to Joshua and said, you know what? You got this. You got this. Because it doesn't have to make sense to the world. It doesn't have to make sense to the world. It just needs to make sense to God. So commitment can be painful. Commitment can be life-changing. Commitment brings us closer to God. So what can we learn here? Number one, commitment to God is not something that we need to fear. Commitment to God does not need to be feared. If God leads us into battle, God fights for us. Don't fear. Secondly, don't fear a life change if God is leading. Don't fear a life changing a life change if God is leading. I think of the bomb boys and um, how how good of a life they had here in Eureka. Um, nice community, small town. A church that loved them, a church that they fit into and, and could be involved with, uh, a place where they could have a family and, and raise a family, uh, comfortable, secure. Um, but they never were content here. They never were content because they knew God had something else for them. And so they were, they were fully committed uh, to what God had for them, and they were not afraid of a life change. And that's going to come to fruition this week on Tuesday when they uh, fly to Brazil, not to be there for eight months or a year, not to be there for two months, not for short term. They're there forever. They're there for a lifetime, at least at this point in their life as the Lord leads. And uh, they will be looking for their own apartment. They will be looking for their own vehicle. They will have their own ministry. They will study the language. They are selling out for God. We don't have to fear that life change when God is leading. Thirdly, commitment enables us to have a deeper, intimate relationship with Christ and our Heavenly Father. Commitment enables us to have an intimate relationship with Christ and our Heavenly Father. Can you guys read those? Are those letters big enough for you? 
I can barely read them standing here, so <laughs> hope they're big enough. I put this, uh, this quote on your notes. I don't know who it's from. The source is not um, listed. It's an unknown source. I think this is a great, a great paragraph on commitment. It really uh, spells out what it is, the, the time frame involved with it. And if you just break this down phrase by phrase and think about what it's saying, it's really kind of overwhelming what commitment really is. Commitment is what transforms a promise into reality. It is the words that speak boldly of your intentions. Think about that. The words that speak boldly of your intentions and the actions which speak louder than words. Isn't it easy to make verbal commitments? It's easy to say, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. It's easy to make a verbal commitment, but it's much different when those actions are put behind the words and you actually fulfill what you're saying. The actions which speak louder than words, it is making the time when there is none. Making the time when there is none. Coming through time after time, year after year. So it's not just committed one time. It's not just making one splash. It's being committed time after time, year after year. Being faithful time after time, year after year. Commitment is the stuff character is made of. The power to change the face of things. It is the daily triumph of integrity over skepticism. I love that quote. It's not from the Bible, but I love that quote. It's something that really challenges my heart uh, when I think about my commitment to the Lord. So I'm glad we went through this passage tonight at the beginning of a new year. Um, it is the beginning of a new year. It's a good time to make commitments to God, to step out of our comfort zones, to go where we've perhaps never gone before, to um, perhaps do something bigger and greater than we ever imagined possible uh, for Christ. Any questions on Joshua 5? Dave? Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Say that a little louder. Well, I think that was more the response to, are you for us or for our adversaries? And I think he was no to the second half of that phrase. He's the, he's the, for the army of the Lord, which was going to be on their side. Plus, he was not part of a, an earthly force. Probably looked... Human, he probably looked human. It was a pre-incarnate, a, a theophany or Christophany. He probably looked human, but he probably looked a little bit sharper than the guys from Israel would have looked after being circumcised. And um, perhaps uh, he thought he might be a scout for some other army around. And he was, he was not an adversary. He was not from the army of Israel, but rather the leader of the army of the Lord. A little bit different. Anything else? Awesome. Why don't you stand with me?
I will pray, and we will be dismissed. Lord, thank you uh, for, for providing all that we need to be successful for you. Lord, um, those of us that are here tonight um, already are committed, or we wouldn't be here on a Sunday night. And we're going to go out this week, and we're going to fight battles, some spiritual, there will be some physical that will battle. Some of us are battling disease. Uh, we need strength. We need your strength. We need, we need the Lord to be fighting for us in that battle, Lord. We ask for victory. We ask for um, the sustaining power that only you can grant. Some of us are going to be battling people, people that oppose us because of what we believe, a people that put pressure upon us because of the fact that we follow you. Lord, we pray that we would rely solely upon you and upon your power, upon your grace, upon your love to be able to deal with them. And Lord, um, we know that uh, you're not going to take us into any temptation or trial that is not part of your plan. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength to endure, to be faithful to you, to remember um, what we've learned tonight about the fact that the army of the Lord is around us. You control them. You, uh, they are at your disposal to use as you see fit, Lord. May we just be faithful to draw near to you, to um, humble ourselves before you, to stay committed to your word, Father. And uh, we know that you'll work the rest. And so we thank you, we praise you, that you, you have already destined us for victory because Christ has already gained victory at the cross. And so we, we look forward to how you're going to work in our lives in the days ahead. In Christ's name, amen. All right, thank you. You're dismissed.